0: But yeah, we've been doing this mini series on the question, do you want to be made well? And in the first week we looked at the man, um, the story of the man, the paraplegic who hadn't been able to walk for 38 years by the pull of Bethesda in John chapter 5. And we saw how Jesus asked that man this question, do you want to be made well? And in the first week we looked at how that's a very bizarre question for Jesus to ask, but actually it's a very poignant one because so many times we where we want to be made well, but we're actually looking for wellness or or healing or happiness in the wrong things. And um, we we left that week with the question of, okay, so this man was made well because Jesus provided that healing. But what about all the others? And why is there so much suffering? <coughs> Excuse me, suffering in the world. And so then last week we looked at that question. <coughs> I'm so sorry. <clears throat> we looked at the question. Why is there so much suffering in the world? And we, we discovered that God has an enemy. Literally, his name is Satan, which in Hebrew means enemy. Uh, that's his title, anyway. And so, God's enemy, Satan, um, created and perpetrated these lies about God, saying that God is arbitrary and unfair and untrustworthy and that it We would all be happier if we just did whatever we wanted instead of following God's principles of humility and love and sacrifice and service. And how because humanity bought into that lie, not only the first humans, but every generation thereafter, the impact of those lies and the impact of the choices that we make because of those lies have led to the incredible suffering of innocent people, innocent animals and the environment. And so the suffering continues in this world today because human beings uh, continue to make choices um, that are not according to the kingdoms of God, but according to Satan and, and his lies. And because we live in this kind of crossfire of choices, because God loves us and gives us free will, um, we unfortunately have suffering in this world. But we have a choice in in adding to that suffering by continuing to make selfish choices, or by alleviating that suffering in the world, by drawing near to people in suffering, helping them, and also drawing near to God so that we can make better choices. And today is the final part of our series. And today is the question of, okay, well, if God didn't cause suffering, and if um, God wants to make us whole, what's his plan for making us whole? And that's what we're going to talk about today is God's response to suffering. But let's just bow our heads together for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we all come from a week um, of of ups and downs. Um, Some of us perhaps have had really good news this week. And perhaps some of us this week have had very bad news. Um, Some of us took the opportunity during this lockdown to rest And some of us were busier than ever. Some of us um, were financially or physically or emotionally really um, hurt by this lockdown. And some of us um, were able to spend extra time with people that we wanted to really um, have quality time with. But Father, whatever weeks we come from and whatever is on our minds today, we bring them to you. And we ask you to help us to uh, learn to understand your plan (laughs) so that we can be a part of the healing process. And Father, I ask that as I preach, um, that you'll help me to not cough so much and to be able to share the message in a way that your Holy Spirit would clarify the words so that everyone who's listening and watching would be able to hear your truth and not just my words. We pray in your son's name. Amen. So what is God's plan for healing? Well, from the beginning, God had a plan. So the moment that that the first humans, Adam and Eve, bought into Satan's lies, instead of trusting God's word, um, they were deceived, but also they made that choice for themselves. Um, From that moment, God showed he already had a plan. And so there he he shares the consequences of their choices. And one of the things that God does is he then turns to Satan, who came in the form of a serpent, um, to Adam and Eve. And he, he gives this prophecy. And oftentimes scholars say this is kind of the first good news. The first um, evangelism is, is a word that means good news. The first uh, good news in, in the Bible, where God says to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. First of all, God says that he will put enmity between Satan and humanity. And I thank God for this enmity or this hostility or this kind of, you know, the fact that we are at opposition from Satan. And I thank God for that because this is the reason why we have this innate dislike for injustice in our hearts that cry out foul when we see an innocent person or or, or creation suffer. God has given us this moral outrage against evil. If there is no God, then there is no evil, and everything is natural selection. Everything is survival of the fittest. And there's no reason to get upset, and there's no justification for helping those Suffer because after all, it's about whoever survives, and that's how nature works, and that's how you know evolution uh, progresses. And so, um, I thank God that He has put this enmity in our hearts because we have this desire within our hearts to make the world whole. We, we have this desire for justice that when we see the innocent suffer, we say, This is not right, right? God has given us that enmity in our hearts against evil. But not only that, but God says, I will put enmity between Satan and humanity. And he says, but also, he says, a descendant, a human being will come from Adam and Eve, one of the human beings who will be killed by Satan, right? Because he says that that the snake would strike his heel um, and kill him through that poison. But that human being would crush the serpent's head. In other words, that human being is going to defeat Satan once and for all, and this is the first time that God alludes to His plan of redemption—a plan that includes a human being that would bring an end to the suffering in the world. And over the years, God illustrated this plan again and again through a sacrificial system in which an innocent animal, usually a lamb or a ram, you know, um, would 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 be brought as an offering, and that represented. The consequence of sin, the wages of sin is death. But instead of the human being who sinned dying, this innocent animal suffered in his or her place. And this was not because God didn't love animals. God loved his creation, all of it. But it was precisely because the lives of these animals were precious to him that he instituted this system to, because he wanted human beings to feel deep sorrow and conviction that their choices had led to this, the suffering of the innocent. And it was um, the selfishness and this disregard of God's principles of justice and mercy and humility that led to the suffering of all creation. And so this animal actually represented the most significant being of all, the most precious of all, which was God himself. So roughly 4,000 years after the first human sinned, an angel appeared to a young virgin and said, you're going to have a, a son. And this son is going to be through the Holy Spirit. He's going to be the Holy One. And you are to call his name Jesus, which in Hebrew means the Lord saves or the Lord is salvation. So even though this baby was born from a woman like all of us, and even though he grew up as a baby and a toddler and a child and eventually a young man, even though he walked and talked and slept and ate and lived amongst humanity, he was also different from us because he never sinned, and he was divine. But he suffered. He suffered not only the emotional and mental pressures of being constantly questioned in his identity and his calling and his character, constantly slandered and misrepresented and falsely accused, but also he suffered the spiritual pressure of temptation. And can you imagine Satan recognizing who this was, this is Satan's last chance he knows to foil this plan of God. And so Satan threw everything he had at Jesus. And we will never understand the amount of spiritual pressure Jesus went through while he was here. Jesus came from a poor family and his whole life never owned a house. He wandered from place to place with his disciples, right? Not a penny to his name. He suffered physical hunger and thirst, exposure to the weather, and ultimately the physical torment of being crucified to death. And he suffered extreme loneliness, right? No one could understand what he was going to do. No one could understand what he was trying to do. No one could understand the pressures and the burdens that he bore. And his heart was broken over and over again by the suffering that he witnessed, right? Can you imagine? This is the God who created the world. And then (laughs) for him to witness the suffering of that creation brought incredible pain to his heart. And his heart was broken every time he faced personal rejection, every time someone refused to believe in him. But despite all this, wherever Jesus went, he healed as many people as he could. He never, ever turned a single person away, no matter how exhausted he was from doing his ministry. And in fact, there's so many Bible verses that illustrate this, but I'll just share a few. In Mark chapter 6, verses 54 to 56, it reads, When they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him, ran through that whole surrounding region, and began to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he entered, into villages, cities, or the country they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. Here's another one in Luke chapter 4 verses 40 to 44. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogue of Judea. Notice how you know Jesus would preach and teach and heal all day, and then at sunset they would bring, you know, you heal one, and then a whole multitude would come. And he would heal every single one. And, you know, Jesus could have healed them all by just saying, you're all healed. But no, he touched each one. He gave each one personal attention. He spoke to each one and ministered to their needs. And then he would do that all night long. And then in the morning at daybreak, he would go away to pray and to recharge. And can you imagine, you know, people who minister to others, they need that time to recharge, um, and Jesus, after ministering to them all day, and, and and the amount of compassion he had, you know, it wasn't like he could clinically detach. He was someone who cared deeply about every single one. He knew every single one by name. So the incredible energy and strength um, and, and heart it took for him to do that all day, he needed that time alone with God to pray. And then people would still come looking for him. And, and it must have been so hard for Jesus to, be able to have to say, I, I want to be with you, but... <laughs> excuse me, (coughs) there are other villages, there are other people who need me. And then he would go on and he would repeat this over and over again. You know, for three and a half years, he did this. For three and a half years, he ministered to people, going from town to town. And it says, you know, the Bible says that everywhere he went not a single sick person was left in that town. And it's a glimpse of what the new earth and new, new, new creation will look like one day when he comes back. That there will be no more suffering. But then, after those three and a half years, his ministry was cut short, because there is enmity between good and evil, and because when he was doing all this good, evil was restless. And you know, it's the same today. When when someone does something right, right? How many of us truly applaud them with all our hearts, right? Especially here in Australia, we we have the whole. Uh, tell Poppy syndrome. So we like to lock people down. We like to criticize rather than affirm. And so when Jesus was doing all these right things, and when he was claiming to um, be be God, and he was doing all these miraculous things, you would think that people <coughs> would be excited, would would be welcoming him. But no, there were plenty of people who doubted, plenty of people who questioned, and a lot of the religious leaders were also jealous of the influence that this unlearned carpenter from Nazareth, which was kind of like the shady part of Israel, you know, what good can come from that, right? And so they were too proud to consider the possibility that Jesus was exactly who he claimed to be. They were too prejudiced. So they arrested and they whipped and they flogged and they spat on and they crucified him. And they weren't alone in murdering the Son of God. They had to bring Jesus to Pontius Pilate, who was the governor, the Roman governor of that region, because um, they were being colonized by Romans. Only Rome had the power to to uh, crucify somebody. And when they brought Jesus and, and Pilate, you know, examined and interrogated him, he found that Jesus had done nothing wrong. And but instead of releasing him, which was the morally right thing for him to do. He wanted to have the favor of the religious leaders. He wanted the vote of the people, right? He he knows that his position depends on his popularity. So look at what the records say in Mark chapter 15, verses 6 to 11. Now at the feast, he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. There was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. But the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd, so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered them and said again, What then do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? (coughs) So they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them. And he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. And so Jesus dies after agony on the cross. And the agony was not just physical it wasn't just emotional it wasn't just you know and all of that alone would have been enough to kill me because there he is witnessing his mother weeping how hard that must have been for him knowing that his mother's heart is being torn in two and there's jesus seeing all his disciples completely in despair right and and he's going through emotion enough emotional anguish as it is and physical torment as it is but the greatest thing of all that jesus had to bear on the cross was something that was the plan all along, which was he chose to bear the sins of the world at that moment that he was dying because he was being our substitute. Remember that sacrifice that, that God had instituted where an innocent animal took the place of the human being that had sinned? Well, that animal represented Jesus. And so when Jesus first came, Came into his public ministry, um, John the Baptist, who was the prophet, who was kind of uh, prepared to to pave the way for him, had pointed to Jesus and had said, "Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world." And so, when Jesus was dying on the cross, he was literally being that sacrifice. He was being that substitute. That for my sins and for your sins and the sins of the whole world, he was saying, "I will die in your place." I will take all of your selfishness, all of your greed and your lust and your envy and your complacency and your self-righteousness and, and you know everything that is in us that is against the kingdom of God, right? And he said, I will take all of that and die in your place so that you can have my life, so that you can have my place in the kingdom, so that you can have freedom to choose better next time. And that's what killed him, was the guilt and sins of the whole world. And he did that because he knew. <laughs> he knew that every day, we, we, it's so hard for us to make the right choices. I don't know about you, but it is so hard to do the right thing, right? It's so hard to swallow our pride and to swallow our, our own desires and to serve others. Every day we make selfish choices, right? And how many of us given enough opportunity and privilege would choose humility instead of power, sacrifice instead of entitlement, love instead of hate? How many of us want to go out in the cold and rainy Melbourne weather to help clear up the debris? How many of us want to invite a homeless person to come and live with us? How many of us want to bless those who curse us? It doesn't come naturally to us at all. And God understood this. And in our, in our selfishness and in our hopelessness, Jesus says, I understand. I understand that it's hard to give up your comfort and your desires. I know how strong the temptations are. I know how challenging the trials are. I know that you want to do right, but that you do wrong instead so many times. So let me be your substitute. Let me do for you what you can never do for yourself. And that's enough, right? We don't have to live a perfect life. We just have to live a life that gratefully accepts what Jesus has done for us. There's a verse in Isaiah chapter 55 that prophesies what Jesus would do for us. And it says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, Jesus was pierced and crucified for our sinfulness, for our selfishness, for everything that in our hearts that, that, that rebels against God. And through that process of Jesus being crucified, we are healed. By his wounds, we are healed. We are given eternal life. And not just eternal life, but we are given life here on earth where we can choose better. Where we can, by him, empowered by his sacrifice, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we can actually be like him. And the question remains for us, do you want to be made whole? He's already paid the price, and he's already willing to to do everything that he, that um, he's promised for us. But do we want to be made whole? Jesus died and resurrected, and when he went back up to heaven, and and he and he and, he's, and he isn't just waiting there; he's actively working to prepare a place for us, actively interceding for us, day by day, doing everything he can to help every single human being make that decision to choose him, to say, yes, I accept you as my substitute. Thank you for that sacrifice. And we make that decision by by choosing um, him and making that public declaration through baptism and saying, yes, I accept that Jesus died for me. And I want that life now where it's not about just me, but it's about living for God, living for others, and choosing his kingdom for this life and the life to come. And we make that decision every single day thereafter, where we say, God, not my will, (laughs) but yours be done. And every day we, we ask for forgiveness of our sins, because every day we make selfish decisions, but we ask for repentance, we ask for change, and we ask for the ability to be like him once again, by keeping connected to him. And that's how we are made whole. When we accept what Jesus has done for us and we're willing to partner with him in his plan of salvation and his plan of sharing that good news with the world. Why didn't Jesus just end all the suffering when he died for us and resurrected in AD 31? Right? Why didn't he just end the suffering then? Why didn't he just destroy Satan at that point? I believe that the reason why he didn't is because he wants as many people to be saved as possible. The very people who yelled crucify him just a few days before his death were given the opportunity to repent. And the wonderful thing is we find out that in um you know when when after Jesus rose and his disciples part, you know wanted to partner in with him in this plan of of salvation started sharing the good news. About his resurrection and preaching about Jesus and how he offers forgiveness, thousands of people who had yelled "Crucify him" became converted, and it says in Acts that they that just in that one day alone, three thousand people made the decision to get baptized. But it's not just um, the people. If you look in Act chapter six verse seven, it says, "So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large." number of priests became obedient to the faith i'm so glad that dr luke recorded that in the book of acts because he's letting us know that some of the very people who conspired to put jesus to death some of the very religious leaders who were envious and plotted jesus's death are now his followers and that's the amazing plan of mercy that's the amazing plan of restoration and redemption and healing that someone who was murderous before can now be willing to be killed in following Jesus. They knew the risks of being a disciple in the first century that they literally can be killed for it. But they did a 180 turn (coughs) because of the power of God's plan of healing, because God touched his heart and they were willing to accept, yeah, Jesus, I want you to be my substitute. There's a tension that God faces, right? Between wanting to save as many people as possible, right? Because the longer He waits, more people could possibly make that decision for Him. But then there's this tension between wanting to have as many people repent as possible, but also those who are suffering, crying out for justice, crying out for vindication, crying out for the end of suffering, for judgment, right? For Jesus to come back. And so we live in that tension. <laughs> and um, the Christians in the first century who, who are being persecuted, who are who are waiting for him to come again, can you imagine? They probably thought he would come in their lifetime. And Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus, writes to these um, first, Christ, first century Christians, and he says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. And so we live in that tension where God is saying, I want to come back and make all things whole, but I'm waiting for just one more person. Right? And ultimately God will have to cut you know, There has to be a time where, okay, there's no more time because the suffering just intensifies and he has to end it. He has to end the suffering. He has to bring healing, but he's waiting for one more person and possibly he's waiting for us. And then finally, there will come that day where heavens will roar. I really like that. I mean, it's it's this mighty expression, right? The heavens will disappear in a roar. The trumpet will sound. And finally, the time where all things will be restored, where all things are made right, will come. <laughs> and at that time, right, when all things are made new, Satan will be no more. That's when God will have to, destroy Satan and all those who follow him and create a whole new earth. And here's the promise in Revelation chapter 21. One of the disciples of Jesus, John, saw in a vision what will happen. And it says, (coughs) Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, And that's the promise we have. That our suffering will be no more. That the suffering of the world will be no more. That when we're finally united with God, when he's once again on earth, and he's visible and tangible and audible, there will be no more death. And his plan of healing will be complete. And until that day, God suffers with us. He's not far away you know, doing his own thing and indifferent to our cause. The Bible is full of examples of of individuals who have cried out to God, and have experienced his comfort. You know, we don't always get what we want, but he's always there with us to give us the strength and the comfort that we need. One of my favorite writers, Ellen White wrote in Desire of Ages, she says, not a sigh is breathed, not a pain felt, not a grief pierces the soul, but the throb vibrates, to the Father's heart. And I like how um, another writer, Paul, in Second Corinthians chapter one verses four and five, he writes, "He comforts us when we are in trouble, so that we can share that same comfort with others in trouble. We share in the terrible sufferings of Christ, but also in the wonderful comfort He gives." And he continues in another letter, "Therefore, we do not lose heart." Second Corinthians four sixteen to eighteen. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So the question remains for us, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be made whole? Then turn your eyes on Jesus. Jesus who on the cross is a living reminder to us that he's not a God who causes suffering, but a God who bears our suffering. That he's he's a God who transforms our suffering into glory. That he's a God who suffers with us and comforts us as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death that he's a God who is going to end suffering once and for all and who's going to bring redemption and resurrection and recreation. Yes, there is suffering in the world, but let's be agents of healing. Let's make the decision today and every day to seek God and his kingdom first, to be his hands and his feet, and to and to participate in the ministry of healing. There's a promise I want to leave with you in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. Peter writes <coughs> to the first century Christians and to all believers and followers of God, he says, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be power forever and ever. Amen. Please bow your heads with me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, help us when we are in suffering or witnessing suffering in the world to move from the question of why to the question of how, Father God, can we help? How can we alleviate the suffering? How can we participate in your plan of, of redemption? And help us in our own hearts to be Able to answer that question of, do we want to be made whole? Help, help us, Father God, to make that decision today. If there's anyone listening or watching who hasn't yet made that decision, to get baptized and to give their heart to you, to accept what you've done for them, to accept your place of substitution, I pray that you would speak to them, draw near to them, reassure and comfort them. And Father, we want to pray for all of us. Father, wherever we are in the world, there is so much suffering. Help us to be able to listen to your Holy Spirit so that we can know how to help those around us. How we can be someone who can listen to the emotional suffering of those around us. How we can help with the physical suffering, the spiritual um, suffering and challenges as well, Father. Help us to be your hands and feet of healing in this world and help us in our own suffering to remember your promises that you are with us and that you will come back soon to bring healing for all nations. We ask that, Father, as we hopefully meet again in person next week and come back together, that we will work together as as a community to bring healing and to bring comfort, and to bring your love into Melbourne. We pray in your son's name. Amen.